live. I got on and off like 14 hours of sleep last night because I didn't really sleep at Congratulations. all. Congratulations. <laughs> as a new father, you're thinking, what is that like? Or as a father of another child. I'm still new at this. I've only had kids for less than two years. You're learning every day. My two-year-old is a teenager now. So something insane happened between the last time we recorded and this time that we were recording. What could it be? It's a mad world. I feel like insane things happen every day. That is accurate. Is this a personal event? It's personal to me. Oh, which means it's probably a Marvel. Oh, the Spider-Man trailer? Yeah, the Spider-Man trailer. (laughs) This narrows it down. Hold on. Yep. It's Spider-Man. It was the Spider-Man trailer. Hello, Peter. We should just do the podcast about I thought we would never see it. I genuinely thought I was going to die before I saw it or, you know, they were never going to release it. Or they just released the movie in December without a trailer. Yeah, honestly. It just drops one day like a Kanye album. (laughs) (laughs) That's honestly how it'll be in the future probably with Marvel. They'll just drop movies like, uh, by the way, this is happening right now. There's just so much. And everyone just is scrambling to go see the movie. Can you imagine the chaos that that would create? Oh, man. But that trailer, though. That trailer was amazing. It was everything you wanted. It, It was. (laughs) (laughs) i'm very excited to see what they i'm just excited that they are recognizing how good the actors and the portrayals of those villains were in the past spider-man films and how like you you essentially can't top them with new casting for those new villains so might as well just use those same actors and and villains you know what i mean i love that because you can't top Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin. You can't top Alfred Molina as Doc Ock or Jamie Foxx even as Electro, apart from some of the weird things that he did in that movie. He was amazing as Electro. And Paul Giamatti as Rhino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy what they can do now. But with... they're picking the best ones. <laughs> yeah, they are. And it's crazy that they can do that with comfortably with the multiverse stuff that they've opened up. And I wonder if whenever they first thought about that, in the writer's room, the multiverse idea and blowing the doors wide off Yeah, this cinematic universe. I wonder if one of the first thoughts that went through their minds was, we can use Willem Dafoe again now in good conscience. Like, sure. Without sure. calling it a reboot, we can just bring him and all these incredible actors back into the fold. Totally. How long have we been on <laughs> Green Goblin? <laughs> How long have we been on this goblin? 20 years. It, this is the 20th anniversary, right, of Spider-Man 1? Or was it 2002? It was 2002. That's crazy. 20 years. But wait, so I may be getting it mixed up with X-Men. X-Men, was that 1999? I think it was 2000. Because it was one of those movies, I guess, whichever one came first, would you say that really opened the door for the 21st century superhero? I think it was X-Men if we were narrowing it to one. But in my mind, it was X-Men 1 and Spider-Man 1. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 1. Because both those movies did very different things tonally. So people looked at these movies and be like, oh, wow, this could work, you know, Mm -hmm. doing different tones, different kinds of movies, comic book movies. So, man, those movies are fun. Do those trilogies mirror each other perfectly or is it just me? (laughs) Strong opener, excellent sequel, and then a third fail. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're here to talk about another movie today. Not a superhero movie. Not a superhero film. Although we'll probably record Shang-Chi later this week. And I guess we can't entirely escape it because Winston Duke was in Black Panther. Sure. (laughs) He played a fantastic character in Black Panther named M'Baku. M'Baku. But we're here to talk about another Winston Duke film. 
directed by Edson Oda, called Nine Days. Nine Days. And if you haven't seen or know anything about Nine Days, haven't watched the trailer, I would highly recommend at least watching the trailer. It is a little difficult to explain, and that's why I'll leave it up. No, I'll do it, because I'll be faster than Gabe. Yeah. By a large degree. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) To summarize essentially what happens in this movie, by the way, it's hard not to talk about this movie without talking about spoilers. So this will be pretty spoiler heavy because all the things that are worth talking about are spoilerific. But essentially it takes place outside of time and space depicted by a lone house in the middle of a desert. And in this house, there's a man who does not live on earth he's somewhere outside of time and space and he's watching different people on actual earth who exist in the normal reality of time and space and watching their lives play out in all these different tvs old tvs like tube tvs from the 70s and 80s this person's played by winston duke and it's essentially this person's job to kind of record and pick souls to to sort of embody one of these spaces in the television which essentially is to yeah be born or have a life on earth and so he interviews all these people in this movie different people for what he calls having the wonderful privilege of having a life on earth being alive somewhat tongue-in-cheek yeah (laughs) that is the premise of this movie and it's great there's a bunch of things that happen apart from that that we'll get into a little bit here there are really, in my mind, there are a few things you might need to know as we begin to talk about it. One is that he seems to have a favorite. Winston Duke, who's this person, seems to have a favorite person that he loves watching. And then she ends up dying in the beginning of the film. And Winston Duke is having a very hard time, whose name is Will in the movie. He has a very hard time reasoning why she died and how she died. And he spends a lot of the movie sort of depressed and in angst trying to put the puzzle pieces together of how and why she died. The second thing is that Winston Duke, even though he's outside of time and space, he had lived previously on Earth and now does not any longer. He's sort of like, he calls himself a cog in the machine. But he experiences and has emotions and feelings just like a regular person. So he's not all-knowing. He's not God. But he's experiencing things very reminiscent of the time that he spent on Earth. He's experiencing these moments and the ramifications of what happens to these people that he has picked and is essentially watching. He's experiencing the emotions of watching these people uh, very vividly. And he goes through a lot of different emotions throughout the film. So that's the second thing. The third thing is that this movie does a really good job kind of portraying a wide spectrum of different kinds of people and emotions and points of view. And in the end, those different people and points of view end up affecting other characters in the movie. So those are the three things I think that are kind of key to kind of understand what we're about to talk about. But we'll just start with the more basic question, I suppose. Did you like the movie? Yeah, I liked the movie. (laughs) What would you grade this one? Uh, I don't know why that's becoming a thing. I don't even like that, but... Yeah, I don't like it either, but... (laughs) We don't have to do it. As far as a cumulative score goes, incorporating all the elements of filmmaking, I guess you would say. Yeah. I'd rate it pretty highly. Maybe like a... Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. We don't (laughs) don't want to reduce the film to a number or a letter, but I liked it for a lot of reasons. One of which was the premise was built out of like a science fiction 
foundation, I think, where you have mm. this this place like a station that exists, like mm. you said, outside of time and space. I kind of like lost in that way for a second. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, but keep going. Sorry. There are a lot of parallels to not just lost, but a lot of other properties that mm-hmm. came to mind during this movie. One of which was soul, which mm-hmm. we saw earlier this year, last year, actually. Was it last year? Yeah. Oh, it was at some point in the last 18 months. <laughs> it came out on Christmas. So, Oh yeah. But the science fiction of it, I loved the idea. And this is a common, not trope, but I feel like it's a common idea that you see spring up a lot out of science fiction it's not hard science fiction, but they use that as a launching point to dig into these really philosophical ideas. Hmm. And that's exactly what this film was. Hmm. This place was just a setting. This physical space existed really only just to give the characters somewhere to have a conversation about yeah. life and the drives behind living and Will. Every contestant, like you said, that Will gets to interview and work with over this process represents a different viewpoint on life and a different approach to living yeah and then will is like the backboard for that where they get to To flesh themselves to interject really quick um it's ironic in a very obvious way that his name is will because he essentially (laughs) is the will to essentially will them into being I didn't even think about that. But every character, apart from their names, I mean, maybe I didn't do any research like looking up their names and the meanings of their names, but they're all metaphors or analogies for what they're representing and then who those people would be on earth, you know? Yeah. Very interesting. We'll, we'll talk about that more in a second, but keep going. Yeah. And we've seen that Will is just one of many individuals who has this responsibility. Mm-hmm. He only handles maybe 20 to 30 of the souls that, you know, occupy earth i guess you could say he's kind of like a guardian angel i think they made him out to be sort of right yeah because even that one girl amanda remembered him sort of like a guardian angel type of thing Mm -hmm. and even though he can't really intervene in their lives once they're born the ones that make it through the process he is still watching over them so that would fit uh but i really thought it was an interesting approach to have somebody like will be someone in the story that has lived before and Mm -hmm. he gets to carry all that emotion and that experience with him into his afterlife of being a cosmic cog in the in the wheel of life and death i Mm -hmm. guess because will and all these characters will who is someone who has lived and has died and all these other characters being people that have not even been born yet they're all incredibly human and they have yeah wants needs thoughts drives emotions and um Will is someone who I could empathize with a great deal because he's very cynical. Even in this process that he's involved with, he's supposed to sort of remove his emotion from this process and approach it. Actually, maybe that's not true. Maybe he was chosen. I I think they address in the film that he was chosen because of who he was as a person. Mm -hmm. Because he's sweet and kind and thoughtful, but he's also intelligent and his experiences have turned him into this person who is can do this job yeah and can do it well but he also like i said he carries this cynicism with him which we all can relate to yeah everyone can relate to and it it makes it a very interesting thing to watch as a viewer him Mm -hmm. interact with all these people Mm -hmm. that some of them are also cynical some of them are more childlike in their approach to the world and then it boils we could talk about the different contestants but it basically boils down to it i think the way you described to me after we saw this film, broke it down best, where it's these two people are kind of reflections of each side of him. I didn't say that, but I love that idea. Oh, I thought that was... That makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, I, I said... The two I, warring parts of himself. Yeah, I gave two... Oh, well, I, I said something sort of like that. I said it's there are two different sides of all of us as people. Oh, yeah. So I guess in that way it makes sense. But But I also thought that it sort of, in a sense, because it boiled down to two different people. One person was very justice-oriented, very much viewed the world in a way that was eye for an eye. His level of understanding the world through his lens that he had formed in the nine days that he had been around was very much different from the other person who in my assessment was very much a Christ-like figure. I use that language because I'm very uh, acquainted with Christ because I spent a lot of time at theology school and I know a lot of people who are still doing that. But um, people who affect the people around them a great deal by asking questions that challenge society and culture and capitalism and uh, all those things that really make the world a more difficult place. That's who this character was. Mm -hmm. And so you have the very dogmatic eye for an eye dude. And then you have this black woman played by Zazie Beats. Zazie? 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 No, it might be Zazie. I, I don't think, know if I it's that. It's Zazie or Zazie Beats. And the man was Bill Skarsgård. Bill Skarsgård, yeah. Who was the clown in it? <laughs> I can't unsee. I know I can't unsee that. But she's this very carefree. She's strong-willed, but not at the expense of another individual. She's very empathetic and challenging, but in the kindest way possible. And in the end, she's the one that sort of breaks will Winston Duke of the cynicism, the cynical place that he has found himself in in the course of the film. And the final words of the movie, he tells her thank you because, and really that's the kind of the whole idea of the film is that, I mean, this is kind of what I took from it, that we need more people like her than people that want to just bring justice and poke out an eye for an eye in the world because people like that can actually make and affect change and affect people in a positive way. And if everyone was like that and affecting people in a positive way, affecting our souls on a deep level, then the world might be a better place. And I, it was really hard to not see that as a main theme or point of the film. But it was also, like I was saying earlier, it's really very hard for me to not see the political side of it, where it kind of came down to a conservative point of view versus a liberal point of view. And I'm not saying that all conservatives and liberals fall into those categories. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that the assumptions that people often make with the points of view from those different kinds of people that fall into those categories were addressed here and then they were brought into question. And these questions in this movie also were not often answered. They were just posed and sort of slightly addressed before they moved on to the next question. Mm -hmm. And that was a beautiful thing too, because Edson Oda is not trying to He's the writer and director of this film. He's not trying to answer questions, but he's just trying to pose questions to and ask questions to, um, I don't know, challenge people that are viewing this film, you know, the audience members. And the questions he's asking are both micro and macro, societal and personal, and very challenging. And they're questions I think every human being has at some point in their life. And, it's, and for that reason, that's why I think this movie is very beautiful. Yeah. I saw those two final individuals a little bit differently 
but still with the same dichotomy. Kane and Emma, I think, were their names in the film. Oh, right. <laughs> Bill Skarsgård and Character Daisy names. Beats. But <laughs> I saw... So Kane is the man that you said was more justice-oriented, and I, I didn't really see it in those terms. I saw more as just like a, a pragmatist or a, or a utilitarian, someone who sees... He seemed like he was going to become a cop. Yeah. That I didn't think about at the time either, but the first thing that it struck me as in terms of like maybe you could in a pretentious way, call it politics of the mind. I do like the idea of these two warring sides of each person, but because I, I think about this dichotomy in myself a lot, and there's the two sides, one being the pragmatist, sure, which was Kane, who was kind of a pessimistic, negative-leaning person. You, you even see this play out really well in one scene towards, towards the end where each of these individuals are talking about some of the more negative experiences they've picked up on while watching will's televisions with people's lives playing out on them yeah and kane's experience seeing something negative was there was a story that played out that was like about pedophilia and and rape and murder and that is a very real thing that happens in the world and it takes a pragmatist to really recognize that and to want to address that directly i think versus zazy beats as emma who to me represented this more artistic perhaps optimistic or someone who wants to embrace the good feelings and the experiential, not by the numbers, but by like a positive emotional standpoint, someone who just wants to live and embrace the best parts of living mm -hmm. while not just not acknowledging the negative things, like the real negative things, but to approach it in a way that isn't so disheartening. So her negative experience that she observed was just like, it was like a poop joke. Basically, it boiled down to just a very lighthearted um funny thing that they could end up laughing about it and they shared a nice moment because they ended up laughing about her story and that was her objective i think was to make everyone happy for a moment so it wasn't very pragmatic but it was just like it was a loving like you said perspective and a very warm and friendly perspective and i think the world does need both of those individuals but to see will's approach and his final test of like Asking them directly, like, why do you think the other person should not be allowed to be born was interesting because Will is someone who, by his own admission, is not only like these people, like Emma, where he's very warm and soft and open to being hurt, I guess you could say, but these are the people that he typically sends into the, into the world, like the person that he laments the death over in the beginning of the film like the person you called his favorite, that she passed away in the very first few minutes of the film. But Will sends these people that he calls flowers into the world that are very... Featherweight. Yeah, they're very... They're beautiful people, but they're so ready to be destroyed by the world, which yeah. is where his cynicism comes from. And he was sure. he was one of those people. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. It was, it was really fascinating to watch. He finally, you know, softens, his heart softens, and at the end of the film, Zazie Beetz is able to not just show him the beauty of the world through herself because that's what she represented, but to also show him that that was who he was underneath that he had sort of hardened and crusted over through his life and through his afterlife. And she was able to reveal that to him again because he was repressing that part of himself that, that everybody has, I think that is that beautiful, warm human. And he was able to finally, you know, break out of that shell by the end of the film yeah he gives uh his whole thing sort of is that he felt most alive ish 
while he was uh, on stage once acting and he memorized this monologue for this character and he then became hardened after that but she wanted to hear this monologue from him and he at first said no i'd never do that pick something else and and he wouldn't do it because it would make him remember what it was like to be alive not just literally but also metaphorically like to feel alive so the movie ends on this note of him launching into this soliloquy of what it means to be alive so so not only is he feeling alive by the enactment of the monologue but the monologue is also written in such a way to be about how it feels to be alive in all of its best moments and it's acted so powerfully winston duke he became one of my favorite modern actors in that scene he's just such a good actor very shakespearean the monologue was and i i tried to find it i didn't know if it was written by ed Sonoda himself or if it was an actual shakespeare monologue but it was very very good and it was memorable. It's something I've been ruminating on and thinking about ever since. I loved that monologue a lot. It's the poem Song of Myself by Walt Whitman. Oh, Walt Whitman. Classic. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, that was powerful. And it really just wrapped together all of the narrative, all the themes from the film into that send-off. Yeah, it was beautiful. Beautiful movie. Interesting little anecdote from that monologue. Uh, Winston Duke revealed that Oda gave him the chance to replace it if he wanted to. And he said, Edson really loved it, but I know you come from a theater background, so if there's a monologue that you are more familiar with that you feel communicates Will's experiences better, then go for it. Oh, wow. He said it just, it, he felt like this poem was the right one for the moment. That was Edson's choice, or? It was it was Edson's choice, but it's, and Winston he agreed. gave Duke the option to use something else. So Winston is like, no, I want to do this one. Yeah, because it does, like you said, it has this Shakespearean feel to it, but it is very much a modern poem, I think, in the language that it uses. Yeah. Which, and this film is all about, I think, really boiling down to the 21st century living experience, because sure. the way humans are in the last 20 to 30 years is driving them to this place that I think Will is really the the perfect distillation of the, your human being <laughs> of the modern era. Yeah. It was more of a somber feel to the movie than I even thought, even though it was life affirming. Yeah. Because Winston or Will is in such a place that is dealing with a tragedy. He's sort of depressed the whole time. And so the lighthearted, beautiful moments come in between the somber moments. And in that way, it mirrors everyday life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's a little Coldplay throwback for you. <laughs> yeah, I love the way he bounced off in a similar way to Zazie Beetz, uh, mm. Benedict Wong's character, who was kind of like his supervisor in the film. I didn't even know Benedict Wong was in this movie, but he's always a joy. And I guess he got to use his normal accent in this film, which is also awesome. Yeah. Usually Benedict Wong plays like, yeah. he doesn't use his accent in Strange, does he? In Doctor Strange? He doesn't have enough lines for me to even no. know. Like. Usually he plays... It sounds like... Is he Chinese? By heritage, but... But he sounds like he has a British accent. Yeah, he's, he's British. But was originally Chinese. That's how it sounds to me. So it's almost like he sounds British, and then all of a sudden he like will pronounce an A or an O vowel with that Chinese accent to it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But he's super charming. His parents are from Hong Kong, but he is born in England. I think he has that British accent but then has that like little part of his parents that pops through every now and then that sounds Chinese to me. That's possible. In a couple of vowels here and there. But super charming. The whole time I was watching him in this movie, I was thinking, 
Are him and Benedict Cumberbatch both named Benedict? They have two Benedicts as leading roles in the Doctor Strange movie? Isn't that confusing on set? Actually, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that even, weird? I didn't even think about that. Like, <laughs> hey, Benedict. They're like, yeah? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're both English, pretending to not be. Yeah, it's so weird. What are the odds? Like, hey, we need we need all the Benedicts we can get on this one. The more Benedicts, the better. It's production value. It's, yeah. It's uh, wild. I, I also want to throw some love on the cinematography. Yeah. Wyatt Garfield is the cinematographer for nine days. Good job, Wyatt. And it was just... I love the setting for the film because you have a house just in the midst of this barren nomadland style valley or plateau, just a wasteland of nothing that I think just fit the tone of the film so perfectly, not only on a thematic level, but it's if you're trying to do something science fiction-y where you're talking about a, a place between places or a place out of time and space, mm-hmm. I think this was a perfect way to do it, just a house in the middle of a nowhere. Yeah, And they keep at nighttime going out at random intervals to yeah. like a junkyard and they find stuff there. You don't know where that is. Cause they always go there at night. It doesn't even matter. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's supposed to be unknown and ethereal and you to be able to travel to as far as you could see in the horizon without actually seeing anything in the distance, you know? And then even inside of Will's house, there's a secret compartment in his filing office area that leads to a void of space, like this black warehouse style room or open space where will will construct things and create places and this is one of my favorite scenes from the film where he gives basically his unborn souls a last wish before they you know vanish into nothingness again yeah and he will create for them an experience via projector screens like he'll allow someone to be at the beach or ride a bike through a city by playing it over projectors onto screens that he'll wrap around the individual and he'll create these really cool sensory experiences in this giant black space just another way you can play off this surrealist depiction of not the afterlife but the pre-life i guess (laughs) (laughs) this very soul-like space like in in another dimension or something it's interesting and also the the soundtrack was beautiful the score composed by antonio Pinto, Antonio Pinto. Yeah, very grassroots, like acoustic guitar. I noticed more strings than I did acoustic guitar, but maybe that's me misremembering completely the film. (laughs) Yeah, the string stuff was really, really beautiful. Yeah. For sure. That played into the theme of the person that he had lost who played the violin. Yeah, into the melancholy, Mm -hmm. which is, like you said, it's a very melancholic... Until the last minute of the movie experience. Yeah, this movie could have been called Melancholia 2, a sequel. <laughs> Subheader, Nine Sad Days. <laughs> uh, anyway, I would highly recommend this movie. Yeah. I would really... It's hard to find. That's true, but it's probably going to hit streaming pretty soon. I would recommend this movie a lot, especially, I mean, for, for all the films that we recommend or, you know, content that we recommend on this podcast, this would be probably one of the top choices for me just because it does encompass the wide spectrum of life itself and asks the more difficult larger questions about what it means to exist um both societally and you know existentially yeah i would recommend it most even to the people that are like will kind Mm -hmm. of uh cynical feeling down or in those 
parts of their life where they're wondering about, you know, what is the point anyway? And if they need something to inspire them and to remind them that life not only can be beautiful, but is beautiful by design. I was going to say, finds a way. Life finds a way. We spent so long thinking about whether we could see this film. We didn't think about whether we should. <laughs> That's, yeah. Those are Jurassic Park quotes. To the people that are hurting, I guess, is what I'm saying. Because uh, I think if nothing else, this film will remind you that it is beautiful living. And to seek out specifically the, the more beautiful parts of life. Because it's very easy. I feel like I've said this before on this podcast but it's very easy to be bogged down, especially with the inundation of news coming from every place and every source that we have in the age of information. But it's very easy to become depressed, for lack of a more accurate term, whatever that word means in the year 2021. Cast down. Yeah, as it's, they it's, say easy in the to Bible. Be, it's easy to be down. Cast down. And so if you're experiencing that, no matter how, what age you are or what walk of life you come from, this movie will remind you that life is beautiful. And even though it's hard to see that sometimes, it's all around you. And that's that. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. I'd love to meet Adson and have a beer with him. That's exactly what I said after. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I want to spend 24 hours with that guy and just pick his brain. The fact that he wrote that, he wrote both sides and then Winston's character as well. This, yeah. He's a true talent, you know? And not just talent, but he's he's clearly more in tune Insightful. with the human condition yeah. than the average person. And that's why I said I feel yes. like everybody has these pieces inside of them. It's just to bring it to the surface, not everybody is ready or willing to do that. And be able to portray and write both sides like that, it's pretty amazing. So here's a track from Antonio Pinto.